Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If a part of it is like, being able to empathize and like have an understanding of where somebody else is coming from, sometimes having a better understanding of the history can help you get there. And so if I'm thinking specifically about, and once again, this is going to be a massive generalization, but a lot of Africans having an understanding of, you know, slavery and civil rights, I would say the majority of them, that's not something that's probably taught within the school system. So that's also white supremacy because a lot of those systems have not shifted or changed or evolved since colonization. There's that element of, okay, well, the resources aren't there, an element of don't really have the energy. Maybe we have all these other things that we should be focusing on or we should be forward thinking potentially. And then also the element of time. So like you could also potentially argue that some potential systems or some people might say, hmm, learning history, that's not, why would we focus on that? Let's focus on things maybe that will build our economy or right let's focus on stem i mean not that there's anything wrong with stem but you know what i mean like i feel like there's lots of different potential angles you could take it from but i do think that through learning more about somebody else's struggle or their history i mean i, I definitely think that could lead to better understanding how you day how you day that was the voice of equa equa is incredible in the sense that she is an afro diasporan who's had multiple experiences. She's so intentional about how she wants the world to be. And she's intentional about how she lives her life. We talk about her experience being an Afro-diaspora and we talk about her experience being an entrepreneur. And my hope is that you see how this is a way for you to remind yourself that you are limitless. One of my favorite sayings is you are limitless, you're not limited. A lot of the world likes to limit what you can do. However, when you sit with yourself, when you sit with the depths of your mind, you realize that you have multiple interests, multiple interests. And these interests filter their way throughout the rest of the world. And we just need to remember that. The way you change the world starts with your ability to recognize that you are limitless. So make sure you check out ways to connect with her in the show notes. And as always, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today I have an amazing lady with me, Ikria Nyame Mensa. Now, she's got, <laughs> she's got an interesting background. We're going to be talking about how to become a globally minded, multi-hyphenate, ambitious leader. Her background, as you'll soon hear, is one that spans several continents, and it's one of discovery and rediscovery. So I'm excited to introduce her to you all. Welcome to the show. Super, super excited to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. The pleasure is mine. Before we get started, I, I want to introduce the audience to a little backstage conversation because we were, we were having a little bit of a discussion about names. And 
much of the audience knows that my name is Tayo, but oftentimes guests will come on and they'll say Tayo. But at that point, to keep the flow of the interview going, I won't correct, even though I've told them my name before. And I was saying, I, I kind of act like your parents, where it does give me a little sting where I'm like, Ugh. you know, you say other people's name right. You can say my name right. But you said you approached that differently with yours because it's your dad pronounces your first name different. Your dad is from Ghana, right? Yes. Yeah. So my name is Ganan. Yeah. So he pronounces it one way. My mom says it a bit differently and different places I've lived also say it a bit differently. And yeah, it's never bothered me. If anything, I've, you know, because of the work I do, I use it actually to introduce myself because I find that for some people, how I sound, where I live, um, and even the way I look can be a barrier. So if I introduce myself by saying, well, you know, my name is Ikpia and my dad also calls me that he's from Ghana. My mom, who's African-American says Akua. And I've grown up mostly in places where they call me Aqua. It gives them an idea of the different places I've lived and probably, or gives them at least a bit of a rationale for them to hold on to why they shouldn't try and put me in a box or why I should sound a certain way or look a certain way as well. I like that we're having this conversation because you and I could not be on more opposite sides of this, but it is still a big part of our identity, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, because, no, seriously, because we, I grew up, you know, on five countries, four continents, you've grown up on several continents. We're going to get into the story. Coming into your own identity, what was that like growing up? You know, for me, it was my name, but for you, what was it for you? Yeah, I think because I grew up in very multicultural environments where the weirder you are, the cooler you were. Having parents from two different continents was cool. Having an accent different from where you grew up was cool. You know, being able to speak different languages was cool. So I always tell my parents that it's their fault that I have this idea that somehow being different and, you know, having these different parts to yourself, being cool is their fault because I grew up in such international and multicultural environments where no one would blink if you had a name like mine, but had an accent like mine. And it was possible to grow up in one country, but have an accent from someplace else. Why did you grow up? Yeah. So I had a, a father who worked for the African Development Bank. And so they were based initially in, um, in Cote d'Ivoire. So in West Africa, we were then technically evacuated and then moved up to Tunis, Tunisia. And so that's where a lot of, I guess, growing up wise, you know, initial places I had an opportunity to live. I visited a lot of different places also because of that as well. And then having, you know, one parent being from the U.S., spent a lot of my summers in the U.S., you know, ended up going to school, undergraduate, grad school in the U.S., and then came to Ghana, when was that, in 2012. So it was my first time, like, actually living as an adult and, and working as an adult. That was actually in Ghana. And then was taken to Nigeria as part of work as well. And then once in Nigeria, then got to go to Kenya. Um, and even prior to that, actually spent a few months working in South Africa as well. So I've had a you know opportunity to, to be in lots of different places, mostly for economic reasons. Well, okay. So then this begs the question, Many people in the Black community, right? We, we've heard sometimes, unfortunately, of a divide that could exist between Africa as a continent, like the whole country, uh, the, the whole continent of, of Africa and the North, South, East, West. And now sometimes people will look at Africa as one country, even though it's that it's wide ranging. And then that divide with African-Americans as a whole. And sometimes the positive and negative caricatures that exist. You are unique in the sense that you are African-American. Yeah. And you, you're also sometimes seen as an African in America. That's how I always describe myself. Now, when you go back to, you know, uh, the continent, you, I believe you're in Ghana right now. Yes, I am. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you, you're maybe seen as too American to be Ghanaian sometimes. Once again, I blame my parents as their fault because this is, you know, growing up, not necessarily something I necessarily felt the need to justify. And I sometimes tell people I'm too old for this. Like I don't need to justify my accent. I don't need to justify why I'm living here. I don't need to justify, but you sort of sometimes feel like you get a bit of that pressure. But it is very interesting being someone who is, you know, a descendant of a slave and also African at the same time. It's quite interesting. And I I guess growing up primarily on the African continent, I did have some ideas of what it was like potentially to be African-American. But it wasn't until I actually moved to the U.S. and lived there and, go, you know, went to college and grad school where I, you know, sort of broadened my horizons. And I think a lot of the thoughts about what it's like to live in the U.S., even potentially what's possible, what's not really changed because of having that opportunity to go to school there. And if it wasn't for that, I definitely think I would have a very different perspective. I mean, it probably wouldn't be so constructive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, lived experiences does matter. I always say that the equation for worldview is lived experience plus exposure. It sounds like you've had quite the number of lived experiences and quite the amount of exposure. What do you think is the source of that distrust sometimes or the disconnect, if you will? Oh, that's a really good question. And I'm curious. I'd love to know what your perspective is. I'm happy to share. Because you're sitting in, um, you're in New York, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so you're sitting in New York. What I've seen on the ground, I think recently has been very interesting because those of you listening to this, you probably are somewhat aware of a lot of African-Americans sort of having an interest in Accra, having an interest in potentially coming back to the continent through Ghana or initially in Ghana. And I think just sort of seeing that migration and seeing sort of the different parts of it, I guess, from different perspectives, I think it's tough. You know, so if I'm thinking about it from the perspective now, so as a Ghanaian now being in Ghana and seeing what Ghana's like and seeing people come from outside of Ghana and the perspective could be that they're somewhat treated better. So I think a part of it might be what people perceive, what they're seeing, and potentially even what they experience based on where they are. And I think that you could argue that some people, or specifically African-Americans that are coming to Ghana right now, seem to be getting potentially a lot. I mean, I don't know what's really happening, but the way it looks, the way it's, you know, I think sort of shown through the the Instagrams, you know, people's blogs and vlogs, you know, they, it seems like they, they're getting access to potential things or their experience of Ghana is very different from people who are here now. So if I'm thinking about it from present day right now, I can definitely see that as one way of not necessarily mistrust, but sort of feeling like potentially left out or why am I not benefiting from this? Or why is there so much interest in these external people and not more on me? That potentially could be the story that people are telling themselves or their reality. So that's kind of, I guess, one potential way to see it. Once again, I think that that idea of mistrust or potentially miscommunication could be different depending on where we are within history. So, you know, during colonization, it might have been one thing. After independence, it might be, you know, might have been another thing. But I think right now, it's maybe this, not necessarily mistrust, but sort of like, hmm, like this isn't fair. You know, to be honest, Ghana is not that great for a lot of Guineans. And uh, I think it's, it's hard to see people come here and be able to benefit from that you know, you got dollars in your wallet that goes a lot farther than CDs. And I think that's potentially hard to see, but you could also potentially benefit from it. I mean, I don't know. So you could look at it from different perspectives. No, I always like to ask this question because I, I study uh, blackness and I, I'm always pushing 
this narrative that blackness has range. And, you know, growing up when I was, I grew up as the son of a diplomat. And so we moved around often. And so the first time I really started to notice a difference was when I lived in Burkina Faso. So I was that, I was a kid with this strong Nigerian accent at 10 years old in a French-speaking country, an American international school. And then I remember someone telling me, oh, you're very different from the other black kid. The other black kid, his name was Belly. He was African-American. And I, and I was, but it was the difference with how he sounded and how he looked and the sports he knew. And then when I came back to Nigeria, my accent had started sounding like this. And then it was, you know, whoa, are you still Nigerian enough? And then when I went to the United States, it was more, this guy's African-American. <laughs> I can't even tell. I was like, wait, you're Nigerian? There's no way. And so I'd been able to navigate the world, but hearing the conversations, it'd be things like your English is too good or your skin is not as dark as I thought it would be or wow, you actually know about basketball and what we call football here and stuff like that. And then, you know, you hear things from the African booty scratcher jokes on the people from the African continent side. And then from African-Americans, that idea of a lot of African-Americans don't like being lumped in sometimes to the, the African immigrants, because if they're doing black people are now getting access to certain things, sometimes they feel like, well, you are focusing and using that as a tactic to not really develop African-Americans here and giving it away to that. And then I've often also heard parents from African continents, I'll hear from my uh, father's colleagues all over the continent saying, don't be like, you know, whatever stereotype. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that one. I know, I know. And so it's so interesting how this is what we always call white supremacy, right? So this idea of divide and conquer, right? It happened to colonization and all these things. And so in the work that many of us do, when we talk about how there's a system that sometimes makes it easy to go against each other instead of understanding the benefit, like both and as opposed to either or, there's an element that gets missed out on, right? You can understand the richness of culture that comes from a continent that has been erased or not fully told throughout the textbooks. And then you can understand the systematic <laughs> erasure that's been happening in the continent, I mean, in the United States here as well. And those simultaneously, knowledge of those struggles, I feel like there can be some unity in there as well as some opportunity for growth and healing. At least that's how I, I approach it. I 100% agree with you, but I think a, a key part of this is being open and willing to to learn about each other's struggles. And I would say from what I've seen a lot of times, neither group, and once again, I don't like grouping people or talking in massive stereotypes, but I don't think either group has the opportunity, the time, the energy, or even access to the resources to do so. Oh, you think so? You think you think there are resources there? You you include resources with that? Like resources to have access to like history? Ah, interesting. Right? If a part of it is like, being able to empathize and like have an understanding of where somebody else is coming from, sometimes having a better understanding of the history can help you get there. And so if I'm thinking specifically about, once again, this is going to be a massive generalization, but a lot of Africans having an understanding of, you know, slavery and civil rights, I would say the majority of them, that's not something that's probably taught within the school system. So that's also white supremacy because a lot of those systems have not shifted or changed or evolved since colonization. There's that element of, okay, well, the resources aren't there, an element of don't really have the energy. Maybe we have all these other things that we should be focusing on or we should be forward thinking potentially. And then also the element of time. So like you could also potentially argue that some potential systems or some people might say, mm, learning history, that's not why would we focus on that? Let's focus on things maybe that will build our economy or, right, let's focus on STEM. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with STEM, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like 
there's lots of different potential angles you could take it from. But I do think that through learning more about somebody else's struggle or their history, I mean, I, I definitely think that could lead to better understanding. No, I agree. And I wanted to set that context up just so that I give the audience a chance to appreciate the nuance that is you. And nuance is my favorite, one of my favorite words. Yes. I call myself Afro-Diasporan and I believe you are Afro-Diasporan as well. You're an I guess technically people always are like, you're a attorney. I was like, I never left. Yeah, because you actually, yeah, you're actually Ghanaian and American. Your dad's Ghana. You lived in different parts. I never left, but okay. You have a different lived experience that people can have. And so I wanted to set that up for this next question. This next question is, what is it that you do today? I have a lot of fun. I really love what I do. The way I describe it is I support leaders with where they're focusing their time and energy. So I'm a you know certified executive and leadership coach, a recognized facilitator and speaker. And honestly, my work comes from feeling like I didn't have the resources to be the best leader I could be. My first real job was working for a high growth startup. I constantly would question, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I hiring the right people? Like, is this the best way really to figure out how to monetize this particular platform I was responsible for? And I didn't feel like the company I was working with could provide me the resources I needed or even maybe wanted to. They pretty much would be like, ask that person who's been working two years, you know, longer than you for like feedback or like, you know, do the best you can. And I felt like there could be better resources for me. And so I was introduced to coaching a few years into that particular position and haven't really looked back. I never thought that I would do this outside of a company. So I always thought I'd work for somebody else. But I think anyone who's had an opportunity to do a you know a coaching certification or go through a coaching program, you end up working a lot more on yourself than anything else. And so just decided to start working for myself and, you know, all the tools I create, all the conversations I have, you know, even my podcast conversations, they all are somewhat inspired, related to the people that I want to support. And also I try and put myself back into that time when I just really didn't feel like I had the resources or the tools to be the best leader I could be. Even here in my, I just got a cat, so he, he's making all sorts of noises. So, I, you know, if you hear those meows, that that's what's happening. He's playing. He's probably very happy. <laughs> Barely. He's a little over a week old. So I wanted to provide that context. You answered a question and there's a trend that I picked up on. We talked about lack of time and resources being one of the potential reasons for gaps here. And you say you're in a career right now where you're providing a resource for people who don't have the time and resource. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but I feel like that's a unique thread no. that is going through here because when I was preparing for this interview, the reason I wanted to start there is because I felt like there will be a connecting thread. And the way I operate with my creativity is I just trust it will reveal itself. And time and resources is what came up here. And so a lot of the world today is set up for different people in different backgrounds. And depending on what they need to know and what they're taught and the resources that are provided for them, there's an enormous amount of opportunity or lack of opportunity that comes to that. You've been able to see things from different perspectives. And I feel like you help people unlearn some toxic mindsets about themselves and the environments they're in. And then you also help people have confidence to develop and establish themselves independent of what the world tells them to be like. Yes, I love that. I'm totally going to transcribe that and start using it on my copy. Thank you so much. That's it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exactly, right? If anything, yes, I do talk a lot about time and resources, but in reality, that's just one unit of measurement that most of us have been told we have to use. If anything, you can think about it from that perspective of like capitalism. The reality is that there's so many other ways in which we can decide or define what success looks like. But for so many of us, that is the main unit of measurement that we use, unfortunately. It's true. It's true. Now, with um, definition of success in today's world, where we are still sort of, yeah, I mean, depending on where you are, some countries are opening back up, some are going back down, locking back down. There's the pandemic, there's the, the impending economic recession, depending on where you listen to. And then there's the people leaving jobs and starting their own jobs. What do you think is a great foundation for people right now to operate within themselves because some people will look at what's happening here in the United States with Roe v. Wade and look at what's happening in the world and feel like there's no hope left. How would you inspire hope with, with these people? Oh. I know you thought you would come in here and like, I was like, what? He's hitting me with these big questions. Hey, but you know, what's so interesting. People are coming to you because of the consequences of what's happening in the world. They don't want to be in the same job. They don't want to be stuck in the same family situation. They want to understand and embrace themselves. And all these things I mentioned, economic recession, everything, pandemic, it's caused a lot of people to reflect on those things. That's why, that's why I thought about it like that. No, it really is a great question. Oh, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, right? If you're thinking about like what role does a coach or a facilitator play, a lot of it is around giving people the opportunity to see things from another perspective, right? Recognizing that there's more than one way to look at this. Are there ways to find, I don't know, another perspective within it? Is there a way to reframe it? I mean, some of the things that you shared, I don't think there's any way to reframe where we use There's no way to reframe that necessarily. But are there other opportunities? What have we learned from this? How can we move forward from this? What does this mean about how we now show up and how we advocate for ourselves, right? So I think that there still could be something constructive that comes out of something maybe not as constructive. And so I think, you know, the conversations that I facilitate and host, a lot of times that's the role that I sometimes play. I'm really recognizing that, especially with what you've shared, there are certain things that do happen within the environments that we live. Do we have control over them? What are those things that we actually can have some input into that can have a greater impact beyond us? That's what comes to mind. That's great. There's an element of control here or loss of control, if you will. And then there's the element of showing up. And so throughout history, whether it's in our collective history or anything in the world, there's been a point in time where someone decided or a group of people decided that the status quo was not enough and they needed to collectively and consistently show up in a way that pushed back against a certain system. I like to think that 
what we do here is fighting against systems of oppression and repression. And so if part of the pushing back is defining a new way to work, for example, which has come about from the pandemic, or making sure you ensure that women's rights or rights of people of different, different, different uh, marginalized groups sometimes are finally affirmed. I think there's a wake up call that is happening collectively in the world. And I think you're primarily positioned to remind people of that. And then the first thing though, I think it probably has to start with self. And I wonder if there's something, someone is a reflective exercise, maybe that someone can do to understand their worldview in your opinion, so that they know where to start from. The key question I always love to ask my clients, and this might not resonate with everyone. So it's also about maybe finding the wording that resonates with you, because I think that words can be very powerful. I think sometimes people are like, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones and words will never hurt me. I don't know. Words can hurt. I think words can also repel and words can also attract. The question I always love to ask my clients, and sometimes once again, I'll reframe it or shift it depending on what makes sense for them is, you know, what does success look like for me? And I think if you start there and then also recognize that it can look different at different time periods, I think that that can be incredibly helpful. And I know I'm using this unit of time once again, but I think for so many of us, we feel like time is against us. And so we tend to think about things, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now. And I always love to encourage people to think about what does success look like 15 minutes from now? And I think what that does is that really forces you to be present and really think about how you're showing up right now and recognizing that you could do something within the next 15 minutes to potentially shift how you feel and support somebody else, potentially do something different. And so I think looking at that from different time periods, I think can be incredibly helpful. What does success look like tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, and really just recognizing it takes these small steps, right? Everything is about these small steps that you want to take. And I think looking at it from that, from that point of view can be helpful. Really, through that lens. Well, you have an opportunity for people to work with you in August called the Proactive Leader. And the tagline there is break your cycle of reacting and finally feeling in control of your time and team. So I want to give you an opportunity because I know there's still some opportunities for people to work with you. What is the Proactive Leader? Yeah. So the Proactive Leader really is a, a container. It's really, I think, a container to support leaders. So they really are able to focus on how they're showing up. So the first step really is around cultivating their self-awareness. So thinking about how they're showing up, is it getting the results that they want, helping them really define once again, what success looks like for them. For others, it might be more along the lines of goal setting or vision setting. So depending on the type of leader you are and the strength that you have, for some people, having a vision or talking about their goals is incredibly difficult. They're just so focused on the day-to-day. So it's really that first step around, you know, cultivating their self-awareness and thinking about, you know, where are my areas for improvement? What strengths do I have? How am I using them? Especially as it relates to showing up to their calendar or their schedule. Because once again, for so many leaders, that's a main way in which they decide whether or not they're successful, whether or not they're checking off boxes. So a part of it might be cultivating their self-awareness and recognizing that they're putting way too much pressure on themselves, that their expectations are completely out of whack. One of my favorite, favorite exercises to do with leaders and sometimes members of their team is saying, you know, let's say you only have eight hours a day where you work. How many different things do you want to do within these eight hours? And then they list like 20 things. And I'm like, well, with those 20 things, if you added only one hour to each one of those 20 things, could you do them within a day? And then they're like, no. So that's just a massive way of helping to shift your perspective around not feeling like you're doing enough. Because for so many of us, we are committing to too many things and we're sort of 
not taking the time to recognize that things take a little bit longer or we need the support. And that's really where that second step comes in, where it's around engagement. So recognizing that none of us live in a vacuum, none of us will successfully build an empire or a business by ourselves. So it's really important to engage. So whether that's engaging with yourself or thinking about engaging with others. And a huge part of that is really thinking about your personality and then asking yourself, what does that mean for how I show up as a leader? What does that mean about how I argue? What are the things that are important to me when I'm having a conversation? When I'm talking to someone who's a subordinate, how do I typically come across? So really just understanding how you tend to come across and then thinking about it from the perspective of the person that maybe you want to influence or you want to inspire or you want to delegate from. What do they need from you in order to be successful? That's a huge part of also being a proactive and a very effective leader. And then the last bit, right? So once you're clear on you know, your gaps, your strengths, once you're clear on you know, how you want to operate um, and how you potentially engage with others, that last bit is really around that expectation setting piece. And so once again, that's around really getting clear on if you're someone who's not really detail-oriented, getting clear on how do you break down some of these bigger visions and goals that you have? Is it about using certain tools or is it about bringing someone onto your team who could potentially support you with this, right? So you're not firefighting, right? So you're not micromanaging. How do you make that work? Or it could be if you're someone who's really buried in the details, how can you create the time to maybe reflect and think about maybe where you want to be five years, 10 years from now? Even if it isn't very clear, just getting comfortable with that and maybe even potentially visualizing some of those pieces can be very, very powerful for some people who feel very stuck in the day-to-day. So those are really the three pieces of you know this particular container that I create for my clients. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a really... I think, fun way to support leaders. And I think a really great way also to introduce them to the power of coaching. Because for so many of my clients, they've never actually been coached before. And I think you have to teach people, I think, what coaching's about. And it's, so it's through that initial container that I do that. I love it. I mean, where can people find a way to work with you on this? Yeah. So they can find me on my website. So it's just my name and then the initials of my last name. So akuanm.com slash work. So that's where you can learn more about this particular container. It's a three-month engagement. And honestly, it's probably one of my favorite things to do. And because all of us have very different ways in which we learn, I incorporate, of course, we have like video calls, but I also have worksheets. I have like audio pieces as well to really support people that learn in different ways or that take in information in different ways. We'll make sure we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. I do think it's such a beautiful way to help people start with self and lead a team. That's really it. If you don't feel good about yourself, it's really difficult to influence. It's really difficult to support others. So that's really the first step. Perfect. What else are you excited about that you're working on right now? Um, everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, when, when we talk about like key indicators, or like what success looks like for me, it's literally being excited. I think about the things that I do. And I feel like I've been very intentional about curating that type of excitement. You know, even, you know, with how I describe the people I support being a multi-hyphenate, I think a part of that is being somewhat driven by passion or excitement. And I guess for me, that additional feeling or emotion that comes afterwards is like satisfaction, right? So I do something and afterwards I'm like, that was fun. Yeah, I like that. You know, like, so that's, that's kind of what I'm always seeking a bit of that. So definitely, I guess, an excitement junkie. So there's three parts really to my business. The first part is that one-on-one coaching part that I really enjoy doing. The second part that I find myself doing more and more is speaking in workshops and training. Really enjoy doing that as well. I get told all the time that I'm like sometimes way too excited. Sometimes I have to make sure I do like breathing exercises beforehand to just bring myself a little down because 
my energy can go really high, really fast. And it works sometimes, right? It depends, right? So sometimes I do stuff that's a little bit more intimate. I need to bring it down. I have tools for all these things. But then the last part of my business and also where this summer I probably will spend most of my time is supporting other organizations. So I do a lot of work with different types of fellowships, accelerators, sometimes pro bono, or sometimes I get a little bit of a stipend. And that's probably where I'll spend most of my time this summer. One of my favorite organizations to work with right now is one that's called the, the Coaching Fellowship. I've actually been coaching with them now. This is my third year. So we provide the same level of executive coaching but at a discounted rate. And it's a lot of fun. And I work with some really amazing socially-minded female leaders through that organization. Another one I work with is one that's called the Founders Institute. So I'm a director in specifically the Ghana chapter. And we're going to launch towards the end of August. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We support early stage founders. But because it's such a global community, you know, when founders come through us, they then get access to mentors and, you know, potential investors across the world, which I think is incredibly exciting. What else? Yeah, there are a few other organizations I'm doing some things with and partnering with. And once again, it's really important for me to have different things to do, I guess, and different projects. But uh, yeah, those are some of the ones I'm excited about this summer. That's amazing. So a speaker, you know, a podcaster coach. Oh yeah, I have that too. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm trying because you know you're a multi-hyphen and I, I love multi-hyphenates because that, that's my career as well. So these things, is there anything I'm missing in terms of a uh, job description there? I mean, I sometimes do consulting as well. So I mean, there's, yeah, there's that bit too. And I guess at a point I was technically a blogger. I had a blog that I was really into. Yeah. So yeah, I've tried, tried different things. I can't sell you short. I can't sell you short. There you go. So that's Ekia. Ekia means born on Wednesday, right? Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Girl born on Wednesday. Yes. What day of the week were you born? I, I need to. There's, uh, I'm coming. I'm just stalling. I'm not stalling. Uh, it's, are you Googling it? Uh, me Googling? What are we doing on here? What day of the week? <laughs> uh, you see, in Nigeria, we don't do, uh, we don't base the days on this. It was a Monday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm born Monday. On Monday. Actually, I don't know what Monday. I'm not sure what guy born on Monday is. Sorry. We can Google it though. Yeah, born on, on Monday. But in the meantime, as I'm figuring out what my Ghanaian name would be, my final question is this. It's always my uh, mission statement, which is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you use your difference to make a difference? And it would be Kojo. So, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. that's my dad's name. Yeah. I didn't realize it was Monday. I'm going to remember that now. Kojo. Adwoba, Adjo, Adwa, Kojo, Jojo. So a bunch of Joes. So how do you use your difference to make a difference? Um, let's see. Well, Kojo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you that from now on. Uh, you know. <laughs> so let's see. How do I use my difference to make a difference? One of the things that I hear people telling me, this is not something that I necessarily did consciously or intentionally, but I think it's just showing up and just being myself sometimes really does help people see potentially what's possible. Once again, not done intentionally. I think I'm just very like sometimes too chill. My mom says I'm too chill. You know, I can even think back to when I was working full time and actually had to go into an office. I had an Afro and, you know, people would say things about the fact that I had an Afro. And this is, yes, me working in Ghana and then Nigeria, you know, starting in 2012 up until 2017, people always would have to say something about my Afro. Not necessarily negative things, but they would always, you know, make comments, you know, Mama Africa, like some sort of comments like, oh, is there anything else you can do with it? Or, you know, I'm not as comfortable with mine. And I'm like, that's great. I like the way mine looks. So 
I think sometimes just being myself seems to make a difference for some people because on the flip side, I'll hear some people say like, you know, because, you know, you so confidently rocked your hair, I also was open to trying it and doing something different. And now I have sister locks. And so people are like, oh, what is that? Like, do you like it? Does your hair break off? And I'm like, no, it actually is really great. It's just as low maintenance of having my fro. Like, cause I always had like a very shrunken fro. I wasn't into picking it or anything like that. So I guess in that way, potentially I make a difference. And that's, like I said, me just being me. So for some people that that seems to be something that is striking, which is unfortunate, right? To say that living in a place where this is what, just grows out of my head. You know, once again, feeling the need sometimes to have to justify it or explain it, I find hilarious. But I guess that's just another another illustration of, of white supremacy and what's right and what's not right, right? And just recognizing though that that is shifting, right? That is shifting and that is changing, which I think is really exciting. And then I guess also in terms of what I do, I don't think at the time when I decided to work for myself in when was this now? 2019, 2018, 2019. A lot of my peers and people that you know I grew up with were like, ah, oh, why would you work for yourself? Like you can make more money working for other people, or it's going to be hard for you to be hired again. Yes, I definitely could make more consistent money uh, working for other people, but I don't think I could live with myself. And I think because I was willing to do that, I hear sometimes people telling me like, oh, you know, because you took the leap, it's something that I'm also interested in looking at or trying. And so I guess that also is quite encouraging and really exciting to hear as well. So I would say I make a difference just by just being me, being authentic and genuine and just you know open to trying something different and being okay with the fact that maybe I look different or I'm trying something that other people might not feel comfortable trying. Well, there you go. That's how you use your difference to make a difference. And uh, if you just look at me nervously, I'm looking at my... I saw the cat. Yes. Yeah. He's right now on the piano. By the way, thank you for engaging with me. Having a five-month-old kitten is a, it's an interesting experience because they're breaking into the place. But the whole idea of being able to be yourself unapologetically and that being an impetus for others to be able to use the difference to make a difference, I think it's it's not only something the world needs... But it's also an inspiration and reminder for people to understand that they are way more than enough. So thank you for that. And thank you for blessing us with your time. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. And so, Ikea, thank you. I want to thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to trying to get people to sign up to your platform and just what you you do in the world and, and supporting from from here as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to having you on my platforms as well. Really excited about that. And um, enjoy the rest of your summer. You too. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time. Use the difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.